Last week, we started wrestling with the question of whether or not God could be both gracious and merciful, while at the same time being a God who would pursue justice and righteousness. Could God do both of those things in God's being? And we talked about how, yeah, like there were ways in which God could do that. This week, we're kind of extending that conversation. We're continuing that conversation specifically as it relates to the Jewish people. And, and, and what Paul is doing here as he is talking to, to the people of Israel is one of the things he's trying to do is to help them see that even in times when the people of Israel were being disciplined or when it seemed like things weren't going well for them, that, that there were morsels of God's goodness and God's truth and God's justice and God's mercy, even in his interaction with them. That God wasn't simply just turning on the rage and, and letting the rage rain down without having any of that other piece of grace and, and, and mercy in his action and in his interaction with them. And so while it might seem like God is nothing more than a raging inferno, in fact, there is this aspect where, where God has a little bit of chill to him, where God's able to, to, to step back just a, a little bit and, and be with his people, even in the midst of their own sin, even in the midst of their own brokenness, even in times when God has found it necessary to, to step in and to discipline them. And as, as Paul talks about this, he does so uh, in, in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 25. And he does this by quoting two specific examples of ways that God interacted with the Jewish people in the Old Testament. He quotes from, from prophets, and the first of which is Hosea. In verse 25, he says, As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And we hear those verses and we think like, oh man, like that sounds really nice. That sounds like a nice picture of, of a gracious God. If you were a person from Israel who was hearing this, however, and if you knew your Old Testament scripture, you would know that, that um, uh, Paul was referencing one of the greatest, most intense rebukes that God had ever given the people of Israel. And if we're going to talk about whether or not God has chill, this seems like a really weird place for Paul to go to reference the character of God, especially when it comes to grace and mercy. Because in the book of Hosea, what happens is there's this prophet, this prophet his name is, as you would imagine, Hosea. And, and in this time, he comes to him and, and he says this to Hosea at the very beginning of the book of Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through, through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Well, that's interesting. We don't usually learn about that passage in VBS because it would elicit a lot of awkward conversations with little kids that probably would be very inappropriate. And here's God, and he's saying, look, Israel, I have been faithful to you, and you have not been faithful to me. And so I, I have told you about this, and we've talked about this. Something drastic needs to happen so that you could see how much in the wrong you are. 
And God oftentimes will use visual cues, real-life world cues, for, for people to understand a point. For instance, when Jacob and Esau are, are born, and, and they're born twins, God raises up the younger of the two twins instead of the older to be blessed, would have, which would have gone against uh, uh, natural conventions. We fast forward to Jesus, and when Jesus needs to talk to people about what it means to be accepting of folks. We see Jesus going in and sitting with tax collectors and and being with people who would otherwise be seen as being outside of the kingdom of God. But this is a whole new level. This is a whole new level of of, of crazy, like like even for God, because God's not just saying to Hosea, hey, hey, look, I want you to go and I want you to find this lady. I want you to, you know, put your arm around her and stand in in, in the square and say, look, here I am, the messenger of God, and and I've accepted this woman and we can be friends. And and, and, in Israel, God is is calling you to be reconciled with him. No, God says, look, you're going to marry her. You are going to take her home to mama, and you are going to set up a house with her, and you guys are going to have these cute little whoredom babies. And it is going to prove a point about who you are and who I am and what our orientation needs to be with each other. But that's not the end of the story. In Hosea, it goes on, and, and, and they have their, these, these kids, right? And so Hosea and Gomer, they have these kids, and this first kid that they have, um, God says, name him Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And in that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Well, that's a pretty depressing thing to be named after, right? This like great huge defeat that comes uh, as a result of the unfaithfulness of your people. And then Gomer conceives again, and, and, and she bears Hosea a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by the war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, and for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And so God's playing this long game here with Hosea and with the people of Israel. And he's trying to communicate to them, look, I'm really disappointed in you. I'm really angry with you because I've poured out faithfulness to you and I've pursued you and I've set you apart for a purpose. That purpose was to bring glory to my name and you are failing in your charge. And and there's going to be this separation between us. And the prophet is asked to demonstrate that separation in very radical and some people would say severe ways. But what's interesting is that God, even in the midst of all of this anger, and even in the midst of all of this prophesied defeat, even in the midst of this this pain, and, and, and God saying, look, there's going to have to be some punishment where I will not show you mercy, there's still a word of mercy in there. Because if you go down to the end of that first chapter in Hosea, God says this, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. 
and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And so here's God, and he's doing this thing through Hosea. And Paul is asking the people to remember this. That you know what? Part of your very identity came to be these things that God abhors. And there were going to be reminders within your very person, within your very community, that you had made God super, super angry, super, super mad. But what's going to happen is there is going to be this turnaround. There's going to be this repentance. And so even those who I had to reject, even those who I had to punish, they will come back into my embrace and even those who their very identity had become defeat, I will make them victory. Even those whose very identity had become that of an existence where they were not shown mercy, I will show them mercy. I will give them a new identity. And those who had been rejected, who had rejected me as their God, who had rejected their call, who had rejected the place that I had set up for them in, in the world scope, I will restore them to their rightful place where they are bringing glory and honor to the name of of God. And so as, as Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, and as he asks the Israelite people to think about what's going on, what he's talking about is this idea of, of repentance and restoration, of a God who sometimes does have to, to, to hold people at length, the God who sometimes does have to, to punish people. But at the same time, in the midst of that punishment, we can look back on history and say, no, God will not reject you forever. Or as John says in the book of Revelation, that the, yes, there will be darkness, there will be pain, but, but joy will come in the morning time because we can live by the faith that the, the God who was faithful to us, even when we were unfaithful, would not stop looking out for our best interests or who we are, would not totally leave us to destruction, but would be sowing new seeds that could be good, and, and, and that could be beautiful. And that God would not simply flip a switch and, and ignore us forever, but that we would indeed be remembered. In Romans, Paul goes on to talk about a different prophet. To talk about the prophet Isaiah and say in verse 27, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would be like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. That story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a story from the book of Genesis. And it is a story of destruction. It's a story of entire cities of people whose hearts had become so corrupted that God had no choice but to punish them with destruction. And, and there were times where the people of Israel must have felt like they had been destroyed because there was a time in their history where they had everything. They had walled cities 
And they had a temple, and in that temple, the, the very presence of, of God, the glory of God, was said to have dwelt. And they were provided for, and they had safety, and they had a, a military machine that was defeating the other kingdoms around them, and, and things were good. But then things came not to be good. And instead of them being able to rule over themselves, other people were ruling over them. And instead of being together, they were dispersed all over the Babylonian Empire. And instead of them being in the presence of their God and being at a place where they could go to the temple or where they could worship, they were, they were physically, they felt physically separated from the God who had created them and, and who had named them and who had given them all that God had given them throughout their history. And so there had to be a time where they felt like we have been destroyed, like we're still alive, but collectively we don't have our identity anymore. Our families have been split apart. The land, this land that we had come to value, the promised land, that's not ours anymore. We cannot sustain ourselves. We cannot protect ourselves God has come and punished us, and God has, has destroyed us. But what does Isaiah say there? No, 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 no. See, you're not totally destroyed. There's something happening here, and it's a reminder that you need to rely on God instead of relying on human royalty. There's a reminder here that you need to stay faithful to God instead of pursuing your own interests. But, but, but the story here isn't one about total annihilation. Because what the prophet Isaiah reminded the people was that God has not totally wiped you out. You still have your remnant. You still have the, the, the seed. You can still remember the stories and the songs of your people. You can still call the people back to this place. The walls can still be rebuilt. The temple can still be rebuilt. The people of God can still be brought back together again. You can once again become a bright and shining city on a hill. There is still hope here. There is still hope here. We just need to turn back to our God. Two stories that Paul reminds the people of. Two stories where it seemed like the people of God had, had totally lost their way and forgot who they were. Stories in which God had, had to come in and, and intervene. Stories in which these folks totally bottomed out. But even in the midst of that, God was not going to completely let the darkness envelop them. The light was just a flicker. The, the, that grace and that mercy, they were just a sparkle. But they were something that God would build on. And God would rebuild his people in such a way in which there was no other choice but for everybody else to look back at them and to say, you know what? God did a great and mighty and amazing thing here. When we look at our own lives, when we look at our own situations, when we look at our own context, I think there are a lot of us who right now feel far away from God. We feel as though we have been destroyed. We feel as though the darkness has enveloped us. And, and we wonder, we wonder, is there any hope for me in the eyes of God? Or am I Jezreel, the one who will be destroyed because I've drifted so far away from God? Will God ever show me mercy again? Could God ever, could God ever call me his child and love me and, and embrace me like he once did. And I think the answer that, that Paul gives us here in Romans is, is that yes, 
God certainly can do that. And not only can God do that, but God has a history, a track record of doing that. The people who have, who have broken God's heart the most deeply and the most severely, God still showing them grace and mercy. God still embracing those who would repent and run toward him. And so for us, especially in those times where we feel absolutely broken down, where we feel dismantled, where we feel as though we have been taken apart, where we wonder if, if, if this relationship with God can ever be salvageable again because of the faithlessness that we have shown God. For us, in those moments, let us hold on to the glimmer of hope. Let us hold on to the glimmer of hope and with a posture of repentance, return back to the presence of God. Let us say to God, yes, God, I want to be the person who is victorious. Let us say, yes, God, we want to be the people who are remembered by you. Let us say, yes, God, we want to carry the banner that says we are your people. And just as you have continued to show faithfulness to us, just as you have remembered us, help us now in whatever way you call us to, to remember you. Repentance starts with, with, with a turning. Repentance starts with a turning. And it continues by faithfully taking footstep after footstep after footstep in pursuit of the God who created us, who loves us, and who's shown us grace and mercy. So today, even if the day feels dark, even if the evil feels oppressive, let us know that there is hope. And let us run back to the warm embrace of God, who is our Father. I just want us to take a, a minute just to be quiet before God this afternoon. There's a lot about today that, that's, that's not quiet. So let's take a moment of quiet and to consider repentance. And God, what would you have us repent of? How would you have us repent of those things? And as we do that, I want us to, to, to just pay attention and to listen because maybe in that moment of repentance, God does have a word of grace or mercy for us. And these guys are going to come back up and, 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 and they'll lead us in, in one last song. And as they do, let us have that be a song of hopefulness. Let us have that be a song of joy. Let us have that be a song of light. Join me for a moment as we just consider repentance and as we listen for our God to speak to us. God, we come to you today admitting that we are not always everything that you want or need us to be. We come to you, God, admitting that there are things that distract us and there are things that entice us. And for those things, God, we do repent today. We ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you 
that you are a creator who, when we do not live up to the standard, you do not lose hope or, or faith in us. You do not cast us away forever, but you do wait patiently for us. And so, God, help us to pursue you. Help us to pursue the wholeness and the peace that you offer us. Help us to pursue the identity that you have created for us. Help us to pursue the paths that you have laid before us that we can bring glory to your name. And in this day, God, help us to have a taste of the joy of forgiveness, of being accepted and being called the ones that you know. And let us not stop with a turning, but let that turning be followed by step after step after step, a long obedience in the same direction. We thank you, God, for this day and the opportunity to approach you even with our sin and our grief and our despair. We thank you that you offer us so much more than that. In Jesus' name, amen.